What's up, people? It's 2-5. Sweet 16. The madness is here. Hope you all having a great day out there. I just wanted to take a second and come talk to y'all about these games coming up tomorrow. And then I will have a preview coming up for the games on Friday tomorrow. And then I will have a preview for Saturday, Sunday, because we're heading towards the Elite Eight. And when we wake up Monday morning or when we go to bed on Sunday night, we will know who is in the Final Four. Are you ready? Because I am. But, you know, first, I just want to talk about a couple of things real quick. Just real quick, some coaching news. Some of you, you probably already heard, but... I just wanted to talk about it for a quick second. So on Monday before Sports Reports is ordered went on the air, you know, Ed Cooley left Providence College and went down to Georgetown down in old D.C. So with that being said, Providence fans, I know the local guy left you, but he did take a better job. And I'm not a big fan of the whole doing it within conference. You know, I know people get mad when I say that, but people get mad when players go to teams in the same conference. So I'm going to keep that same energy because that's what I do. But with that being said, it's a better job. And I got one request, Ed Cooley. Well, actually two requests. One, do right by Georgetown. You know, we need Georgetown. It's been a while, you know, since they've been relevant. Patrick Ewing took him to the tournament once, and that was just because he got hot over the course of the Big East tournament. So my second request is part of doing Georgetown right is giving me what I want, and I want Maryland and Georgetown Every single year. I don't care if it's preseason, first game of the season. I don't care if it's after you had a tune-up against American and Howard. I don't care if it's in the middle of conference season and you just need a break real quick. But the streets need Georgetown and Maryland. That's what we want. That's what we need. So congratulations, Ed Cooley, carrying on the legacy of John Thompson. What a legacy to behold and what a legacy to have to live up to. But luckily, you weren't the one that followed him or his son. So, you know, welcome to Georgetown, Ed Cooley. And then right after that, about an hour after that, Mr. Rick Patino left New Rochelle, New York. He left Iona. And then he came on down the road and went over to Queens to St. John's. How about that? Everybody's been clamoring for New York City to get back in the game. Hofstra had a good showing in the NIT. And I told you, Jersey is here, but everybody wants New York. They don't want Jersey. So St. John's is going to bring New York back. The only issue I have here, the only issue I have, well, actually, I got two issues. You know me. But allegedly, Mike Anderson is gone for cause. And then you got the coach that's all about cause in Rick Patino. Great coach on the court. Leaves a lot to desire in other areas, you know, so I don't know. I expect the lawsuit to come and we'll see what happens. But with that being said, on the court, transfer portal error, Rick Patino is going to clean up. One problem. He's already 70 and you gave him a six-year deal. 
So I don't know how much of that contract he's actually going to coach, you know, Nick Saban style, you know, but maybe he'll stick around until the end of the contract. We'll see. If you could get at least four years out of it, I think it's worth it. You should have a sweet 16 in your future. Maybe a final four run if everything breaks right. So congratulations, Rick Patino. So then I expected Iona to stay open for a while because, you know, I don't know how desirable it is, even though Rick Patino definitely played a part in upgrading some facilities up there. So, you know, Iona's nothing to sneeze at or anything like that. You know, like they're better than Siena and Niagara, I guess, you know, keeping it in perspective. But with that being said, Thank you, Perdon, because if it wasn't for you, Tobin Anderson of Fairleigh Dickinson Jersey Stand Up would not have gotten this job as the head coach of Iona. Now, how crazy is that? Because I was just telling you all, you know, that Fairleigh Dickinson lost to Merrimack, Merrimack, and, you know, wasn't even supposed to be in the tournament if not for the stupid NCAA transition rule. But you know what? They did get to the tournament. They took advantage of their opportunity. And you know what? Tobin Anderson moved on up. So thank you, Matt Painter, because you made this possible. Thank you, Zach Eady, because you made this possible. Now we'll see what the coaching looks like. You know, Iona's a better job than Fairleigh Dickinson. I'm not sure by how much without Rick Patino, But the conference is definitely better. You know, the Metro Atlantic is definitely greater than the Northeast Conference. So congratulations, Tobin Anderson. And finally, coming off of going to the Sweet 16 two years ago, coming off of the, having the nation's longest winning streak this season. Unfortunately, they ran into the buzzsaw from Durham. But Mr. Paul Mills, head coach of Oral Roberts, has accepted the job at Wichita State. So come on back, Wheat Shockers. Formerly America's sweetheart, you know. Oh, it just seems like yesterday when Wichita State was undefeated coming into the tournament, Clee Anthony early and – you know, all, you know, Baker and, you know, these guys, you know, Van Vliet, you know, playing against Kentucky. They got upset, but, you know, what a great run that team was on. So, you know, it'd be great to see Wichita State ascend to the top of the new AC, welcoming in UAB, Florida Atlantic, who we'll get to later, Charlotte, Rice, North Texas, and UTSA. So the new AAC is going to be something to see, and Paul Mills is on his way. So congratulations to you, sir. Now, Sweet 16 is here. The madness is here. We're going to start off with 7 seed Michigan State and 2 seed Kansas State in the East region. So what am I looking forward to in this matchup? I want to see the coaching matchup. I want to see the tacticians because we got Mr. March in one corner. No disrespect to Bill Self. Mr. March in one corner. Been the 15 Sweet 16s. 10 and 5 record in the Sweet 16. Tom Izzo. National champion coach Tom Izzo. Even though that championship was many, many moons ago in the year 2000. Mateen Cleves, shout out, you know. But anyway. Uh, against Jerome Tang of Kansas State, first-year head coach. And if you're wondering where he was prior to that or you just don't know, 
He was on the Baylor staff for the last 19 years, including the national title a few years ago under Scott Drew. So what that means is he's seen this before. He's been here before, but this is his first time actually in the seat leading this type of run. So it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, they played Montana State the first round, get your feet wet, feel the tournament out. Okay, get that one out the way. And then they got pushed to the wire by Kentucky in the game of the weekend last week. You know, he, he obviously, you know, won that game uh, out coach, coach, coach Cal as what seems to happen a lot lately. But now you're up to the big dog, Tom Izzo. So I want to see how your team responds because Kansas State has the best duo left in this region, you know, that being Marquise Noel and uh, Keontae Johnson, best duo left in this region and one of the best left in the overall tournament. So key to the game, I brought it up the other night. Michigan State came into this tournament, the number three team in the nation in three-point percentage. They proceeded to go 2-4-16 against Marquette the other day against the Golden Eagles, who they beat after they finished off Trojangelis in the first round. You know, no, that being said, Kansas State, defensively, their opponents shoot 29.7% from three-point. So something's got to give. Rubber meeting the road, baby. So, you know, what do we have here? I think we're going to have Kansas State come out on top just because I think that duo is going to be a little too much. Michigan State does have Tyson Walker, who has been playing out of his mind and clutched the last couple of games. And then, of course, you know, my guy Sissoko blocking shots, grabbing rebounds, taking over the final stages of the game. You got Joey Hauser, you know. So if Michigan State's shots are falling, this is going to be a great game that comes right down to the wire. And don't be surprised if the Spartans win. But I think Kansas State just has just a little bit more, just a little bit. Just a little bit. So, you know, give me Kansas State by four, moving on to the Elite Eight. You know, and we'll get back to that matchup. Of course, I had Kansas State in my bracket to the Final Four. That doesn't mean that's why I picked them this time around. I just think they're better than Michigan State. Because Michigan State, regardless of how you feel about Tom Izzo, how you feel about them personally, they were a seven seed for a reason. And that means they were worse than Perdon. They were worse than the Hoosiers. They, you know, they were on the same level as Northwestern. You know, they were around the same range as Maryland. So, you know, these are all teams that are home right now. So as tough as the Big Ten is, here we are, you know, and Kansas State coming from the Big 12. So they went through Kansas. They went through <coughs> TCU. They went through West Virginia. You know, so like Kansas State is battle tested, even though their coach is in his first year. So I think it's going to be an entertaining game, an interesting game, and may the best team win. Now, on to the game that I said I was looking the most forward to. You know, I got to rethink that, you know, because I'm all about this Gonzaga UCLA game, and I'll get to that later and why I'm into that game. But I believe. Arkansas and UConn has the potential to steal the show. You know, you watch, you see Roman Reigns and all these guys, and then you get somebody like Adolph Ziegler out there that comes along and steals the show. I think this game can steal the show. Adama Sanogo, you know, he has been the leader for this team in their tournament wins against Iona and St. Mary's. And the advantage that St. Mary's had against UConn only came 
when they got their scores or they got their offense in before UConn got set up. But same thing here, coaching matchup. Danny Hurley's not a first-year coach, but now that they're in the Sweet 16, he has two tournament wins. What that means is before this season at UConn, he had not won a tournament game before. So this is uncharted waters to some degree, right? Arkansas, on the other hand, has my guy, Eric Musselman, but please keep your shirt on. You know, they have him at the helm, and Arkansas is looking for their third straight Elite Eight, which will be the first time in school history that they accomplish that if that's what happens. So, you know, we're at the point now where all the cliches go out the window and everything happens on the court. And what Arkansas needs is Anthony Black. You know, he's been kind of quiet. He's got an injured back, you know, so hopefully he's feeling a little bit better with the extra rest, you know. Um, but I'm going to keep my eye on Nick Smith. You know, you keep he, he hearing me talk about him. Top five draft pick potential, you know, um, from all the mock drafts that I've been seeing. Maybe he slips a little bit after what happened against Kansas. If you remember, he only played 16 minutes, not because of injury, because he was ineffective. And that's what great coaches do. Eric Musselman saw that he was ineffective. And instead of saying, I'm going to let him figure it out or he'll get it right, Eric Musselman said, no, we have a game to win and you're standing in our way. So he made that adjustment, took one of his star players out. Not many coaches would have done that. So I salute Eric Musselman for that. And things like that are going to be the reason why this game ends up being close. You know, they got my guy Jordan Walsh, you know, who got a little Dylan Brooks in him without all the antics and without the mouth. You know, they got Ricky Council. They have Debo Davis who came in and scored 25 before he fouled out against Kansas. You know, so Arkansas has talent all over the place. So this is not one of those games where UConn is going to win because they're just so much more talented than Arkansas. But I just think that Sonogo is just going to be too much, and I don't think Arkansas has anybody that can stop him. So I could see Arkansas, I'm sorry, UConn winning this game by about seven points. You know, it's going to be close all the way through. Arkansas fights, you know, but both teams concern me because their starts and their finishes. So UConn finishes strong, as you saw against Iona and St. Mary's. Once they got it together, neither one of those teams could do anything against them. Arkansas, on the other hand, they started out great against Illinois in the first round, but then they tried their best to blow the game, and Illinois just couldn't hit a few shots to put that scare into them. Against Kansas, Arkansas tried every which way possible to give Kansas that game in the first half, but they stuck around, and Kansas missed some one-and-ones, you know, and that was all she wrote. Arkansas got the momentum, and they never let go. So, you know, UConn, I advise you to play better in the first half than you did against St. Mary's or else you'll be looking up at the lights going home. But give me UConn. Tennessee, the four seed against Florida Atlantic. You better not call them a Cinderella. This is a 33 and three team. I don't care who you are. You 33 and three. I'm not calling you a Cinderella. Even if you're a non-seed, you're still not a Cinderella. College of Charleston wasn't a Cinderella, but they may have been just looking at their seed. But Florida Atlantic belongs here. They have the coach, Dusty May, you know, who you will hear 
potentially for the Notre Dame job now that Mike Bray is gone. You might hear him for the South Florida job now that uh, Mike Bray – funny how that works. Mike, there were reports saying that Mike Bray was going to take the South Florida job, and then shortly thereafter we realized that wasn't going to be the case. I guess it could still happen, but as of right now it is not a thing. But Dusty May is probably going to be rumored for both of those jobs or at least one of them. So this is a showcase for him to show what he can do as well. And I love, absolutely love his quote when asked about how he was preparing for Tennessee. So I quote, we're going to study Australian rugby rules and get ready for the Vols, end quote. That's exactly it. Because Tennessee is going to claw, they're going to scratch, they're going to grab you, they're going to hold you, they're going to bump you, they're going to knock you down. They're going to do all these things, and they have a reputation of doing these things. So the referees sometimes turn the other way. Just like think about the Legion of Boom in the NFL. You know, once you establish a reputation, the ref ain't going to throw a flag on every play. So you get away with a little bit more than the other teams do. So that's Tennessee here playing that role of the John Cheney Temple and the Bob Huggins Cincinnati, the Jamie Dixon Pitts and Virginias of the world. So Tennessee has never been to a Final Four. They win this game. They're a step closer. FAU never won a tournament game before this year, and they knocked off Memphis, and then they knocked off FDU, also known as Perdon's Daddy. Tennessee beat Louisiana and then they put the shellac, and I said they put the mollywop on the Blue Devils from Durham. Kamwa, my guy, had his career high 27. That probably won't be needed for this game if it goes the way that I'm thinking. But you want some stats, right? So Tennessee, third in the nation in points given up per game, 57.8. As far as the teams left in the tournament, that would be second behind Houston. So defense is their calling card. So if Tennessee is knocking down the threes, they can be tough. You know, just think of a souped up version of San Diego State, which Alabama has to deal with, you know, on Friday. But, you know, but this is what Tennessee does. They play this defense. They, they're physical and it's tough to get through on them. So what do you have to do? You have to get free throw opportunities. So if the refs are calling a tight whistle, they back off a little bit, but in the meantime, you earn your free throws while the refs are calling it that way. You get transition points because you got to try to score before they can get their defense set up. The thing about it is that Florida Atlantic is only 71.6% as a free throw shooting team. So can they take advantage of the opportunities if they get to the line? Secondly, they're number 58th in the nation in fast break points per game. What does it mean? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? It just depends on your perspective. There are 363 Division I teams, soon to be 361 because Hartford is leaving to go to Division Three, and then St. Francis of Brooklyn is getting rid of their athletics altogether, it sounds like, at the end of this season. So 58 out of 361. That doesn't sound so bad, right? But – it's not top 20. It's not top 30, you know? So, I mean, keep perspective. It's just on how you want to look at it. With that being said, I choose to look at it as 58th isn't good enough. So give me Tennessee by about 11. I think it's going to be close throughout. There's going to be a point with about six and a half, seven minutes left. We're going to look up at the score. Tennessee might only be up three or four, and we're going to start believing that FAU can do it. 
and then their legs are going to give out because Tennessee is going to lean on them and force their will on them. And then before you know it, shots that were falling aren't falling anymore, you know. But don't call them Cinderella. No glass slippers, you know. But I think Tennessee is going to pull this out, get to the Elite Eight, meet up with Kansas State. And if you've been paying attention to my bracket, I got Kansas State in the Final Four. So there you go, you know. And then, then the main event, the main event. Now, I told you earlier, I thought that in the other night, that I thought that UConn and Arkansas has the potential to be the show stealer. That's going to be the game of the night in my eyes. But history would say Gonzaga and UCLA is a prize fight. These two teams have history with, with one another, especially in March. So let's take a journey back to 2006. You remember Adam Morrison crying, sitting on the court right before he went to the NBA. And everybody had the debate between him and J.J. Reddick, which one of them was going to light the NBA on fire. that game. What I remember from that game and what some of you might remember is Gonzaga, this was the regional final, Elite Eight. Gonzaga had a nine-point lead with about three minutes left. And then UCLA came through like hell on wheels and ended the game on an 11-0 run. Adam Morrison was crying before the buzzer. He was crying when Gonzaga still had a chance to win the game. He was already, He already knew. You already knew what it was going to be. And UCLA pulled out a two-point win as a result of that 11-0 run. So that's what we remember, right? Adam Morrison crying. But then, but then two years ago, it was Jalen Suggs that left UCLA crying. Johnny Juzang and the gang, formerly of Kentucky, you know, um, ready to pull the upset over the undefeated Gonzaga Bulldogs. I always want to call them the Gonzaga Zags, but the Gonzaga Bulldogs, you know, um, right before they played Baylor for the national title. And, you know, UCLA up. And then lo and behold, Jalen Suggs from about 88 or 89 feet, you know, like it was probably a little closer than that, but you get the point. You know, he pulled that thing and history was made. Gonzaga went on to go lose to Baylor in that national title game. Gonzaga also a couple of years prior had lost the national title game to North Carolina. So Gonzaga has been here. They know what it is. They have been close. They've been to the mountaintop almost. They touched the top of Everest and then slipped. So Drew Timmy, this is potentially his last game in a Gonzaga uniform if they were to lose. He does have another year of eligibility, you know, due to the COVID year. But I'm not sure if he's going to come back or not. But what I am sure of is that Drew Timmy need to stop cussing on national TV. Come on, young man, do better. But, you know, like, I think he's going to play his heart out, you know. And I think this is the type of game that they went and got Hasir Bolton from Iowa State. And they went and got Malachi Smith from UT Chattanooga, who scored 17 and 11, respectively, in their win the other night against <coughs> TCU. You know, who came, who gave up a 10-point lead. Gonzaga showed you their firepower. Number one in the nation, averaging 87.3 points per game. And then here we go. UCLA with the sixth best defense, giving up 60.2 points a game. So with that being said, can UCLA get to 70? 
I'm going to put the magic number at 75. If UCLA cannot reach 75, I think it's going to be near impossible for them to win this game as talented as they are. This may be the game where the powder blue bears miss Jalen Clark, 13 and six and the best defender on the team, you know, but they still have Amir Bailey. They still have Tiger Campbell. They still have Hame Wakis. Now, Tiger Campbell, you cannot do what you did the other night. So after the game against UC, UNC Asheville, they matched up with Northwestern in the previous round, the second round, and Tiger Campbell proceeded to go 0 for 7. But then you'll say, he scored 12 points. And I'll tell you, yeah, he's a very good free throw shooter. He's going to need to score. He's going to need to push the pace at times. You know, he's going to need to set up and keep Gonzaga on their toes. He's going to need to score a couple of points, you know, from the field, not from the free throw line. You know, um, Jaime Walquez had 24 and 8 against uh, Northwestern. So he's probably going to need something similar to that against Gonzaga to pull this off. Now, I'm not saying that Gonzaga are world beaters because they're not. You know, we've seen St. Mary's pull their pants down. We saw them lose to Loyola Marymount. So Gonzaga is by no means invincible. I just think they're better than UCLA because UCLA, in my eyes, has an inflated record by the weak conference that they play in. As you saw Trojangelis go out in the first round, you saw Arizona get upset by Princeton in the first round, a 15 over a two. You know, you saw Arizona State, you know, beat Nevada, but then they took it, you know, almost beat TCU, but they couldn't do it. You know, the Pac-12 was nothing of note this year. So, you know, UCLA may be a little bit inflated. They were talks. They were in talks for the one seed, and if Jalen Clark didn't get injured, they probably beat Arizona in the Pac-12 title game, and they probably are a number one seed. You know, and Arizona is probably not a two seed, or they wouldn't have played Princeton at least. So that one injury has already affected the tournament as we know it. So with that being said, Without him, I just don't know if UCLA can fully stop Gonzaga to their ability, to the best of their ability. So, you know, give me Gonzaga. I think I still think it's a close game. I still think it's a close game. You know, I still think it's something like 74 to 69 where UCLA has its moments. They have their chances. But in the end, they just can't get the bucket that they need. So to recap, you know, you got I got. Kansas State over Michigan State. I got UConn over Arkansas. I got Tennessee over FAU. And I got Gonzaga over UCLA. So tomorrow night, I will be back with previews of the games on Fridays and reaction to last or to tomorrow's games. In the meantime, Sports Reports is ordered. We'll be back. You'll probably get it Friday morning or Friday afternoon, we're going to be talking about a couple of different things. We're going to be talking about the hypocrisy that I kind of alluded to earlier. Why are we hypocrites and don't want players to have a transfer portal or be allowed to move when the coaches that they committed to play for are bouncing yearly? You know, that's one topic. We're going to get into the referee getting demoted in the NBA by the aforementioned Fred Van Vliet, his complaints the NBA took action. I hope this becomes a thing. Not necessarily every ref needs to be demoted, but I do like the fact that they're holding people accountable. 
You know, we're going to talk about Austin Eckler. Where's what's next for him? Where's he going to end up? You know, and then we're going to talk about the OKC Thunder, who are as of this moment, because games are still going on, as of this moment, they're a half game out of the sixth seed, which means they're a half game of a away from avoiding the play-in. So the tank is in the tank. OKC is here. The future is now. And oh, by the way, they get Chet Holmgren back next year, you know, of Gonzaga fame. So that's just a little preview to get your mouth watering about what we're going to talk about on Sports Reports Disorder. Me and my guy, Raphael Rutley. So, you know, now I'm going to leave you to watch these games tomorrow. I hope you enjoy. Have a blessed day. Thank you for your support. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And I love you, America. And I'm out. Peace.